Amen. So, we're dealing with this topic, unstuck. Now, to get unstuck, you've got to be stuck in the first place. And I don't think that applies to many of us. Well, it probably does in one area of life or the other. Psalm 40, verse 2, New Living Translation. Psalm 40, verse 2, he says, He lifted me out of the, the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. He lifted me out. Lifted me out and up. And the reason he did that was because I was stuck. He lifted me out because I was hopeless and helpless. He pulled me out of a pit and separated me from darkness that was all around me. When I needed someone whose hands were long enough to reach me, Jesus was there to pull me out. When I needed someone whose hands were long enough to reach me in my isolation and desperation in the depths of the pit, he was there. When I needed someone who could not necessarily hear the sound of my voice, but hear the cry of my heart, Jesus was there. He heard my heart's cry and he pulled me out of the pit into his marvelous light. He pulled me out of a pit, lifted me out of a pit of despair, a pit of hopelessness, a dangerous pit, a horrible pit, a pit of loneliness and destruction, a desolate pit. Pulled me out of a pit of misery and confusion, a pit of distress, anguish, and pain, a pit of dejection, depression, and discouragement. He pulled me out of that place, that ugly feeling that everything is wrong and that nothing will improve. He pulled me out of a dark place. A place where vision is impaired. I don't know if you've ever been in a pit. The deeper it is, the darker it is. Where you can't see in front of you, it's darkness all around. You can feel your way around, but it's a hopeless situation. Really, really darkness. But Jesus pulled me out of that place. So the psalmist says, I believe God is ready tonight to lift people out of the pit. Whatever the pit is, you find yourself, God will lift you out tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Says he lifted me out of the mud and the mire. I don't know if you've ever tried walking in mud. It's not an easy walk. 
The mud drags you down. The mud and the mirror rep represents unpleasant and difficult situations. Situations that hinder and entraps and entangle. The mud and the mirror will bog you down, slow you down, restrain and constrain you. It will put you at a disadvantage. You know, when I was much younger, you know, um, if you're very fast at running the 100 meters and, you know, you want to have a challenge with someone, they will say, well, I'm so convinced. You know, we, we Africans, we boast a lot. And <laughs> uh, uh, you say, well, I'm so convinced <clears throat> I'm going to beat you in this race. So I'm going to let you start 50 meters ahead. I'm not, I'm not a sprinter, so I can't run that fast. If it's table tennis, I can give you five points ahead and still beat you. So, the mod puts you at a disadvantage. And I was thinking this morning that, you know, if, if I were put in a race with Usain Bolt, like the fastest man in the world, I could possibly beat him if he's in the mud and I'm on a solid ground. It's true. If he's in the mud and I'm on a solid ground and we have to run, I'll beat him because he's starting off at a disadvantage. So the mud will slow you down. And the Bible says, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground. Solid ground is ground out of the pit, out of darkness. When you're on solid ground, you are out of the pit. You're on level ground. You can see further now. You are no longer in a hole. You are out of the hole. You're on level ground. Your vision is no longer impaired. And you are no longer entangled in the mud. Nothing is hindering you. And so you can actually see further into your future. Look ahead into the future with excitement and expectation. No longer in the mud of mud. I'm now on solid ground where I can not only walk, but run with a God's purpose for my life. That is the first part of that verse. And that sounds more like God saving me. Because he did it. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. He lifted me out of the mud and the mud. He set my feet on solid ground. But there comes the second part of the message. And he steadied me as I walked along. He's done his part. Now I have to do my part. I have to do the walking. And as I begin to walk, he's with me. Steadying me as I stumble. He picks me up. Who's glad that God is with them? Hebrews 13.5 says, he will never leave me nor forsake me. I'm glad that he did, just, he did not just save me, but he's in this journey with me. I'm glad that I can call out to him. You know, he's just only a prayer away. He 
was only a prayer away. He was in a boat with his friends, his disciples, and there was a big storm, tempest, and they called out to him. He was asleep. And then he came out and said, peace be still. And everything was calm. And all we really need to do is call out to him. When we are in trouble, we'll call out to him. When we feel stuck, we need to call out to him. He's there. When Peter wanted, when Peter saw him walking on water and Peter said, can I come? He says, come. Peter walked. And for a moment, he was walking on water. But then he began to sink. But Jesus was right there next to him. He steadied me as I walked along. Not as I contemplated walking, but as I walked along. Amen? I'm so glad that he's close enough to steady me as I walked. To get from point A to B. Now we're just going to do small demonstration. To get from point A to B, we've got to walk. Okay? So I'm just going to use all of the music team. Can I have all of you guys come this way? So let's put this in perspective. Okay, so you're all going to walk to your seats. No, 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 no. Just listen to the instructions. You're going to walk. You're all going to walk to your seat, okay? So, Maria, I want, you, you're all going to start at the same time, you, okay? You're just going to walk straight to your seat. Okay? You've got to get this right. Wait for instructions. Okay? So, you're going to stay here, and you're going to contemplate walking. You will walk straight to your seat. You will walk round to this point. Find out that you cannot come out through here and go back. Come back here, and then walk to your seat. You will walk all the way round to your seat. You walk to this point. Instead of coming back, go back again and walk down to your seat. And you walk all the way to the wall and to your seat. All right, let's go. You are contemplating whether to walk or not to walk. Okay, June, you can walk to your seat. He's still contemplating. He's still contemplating. Now, the, the point of this exercise is this. You can all go back to your seat now. The point of this exercise is this. Let's give them a hand. That's good. Now, the point of this exercise is this. A walk. It's made up of a series of steps. Every step is a choice. Every step is a decision. Okay, you can just do the right straight track walk and walk straight down there. You can make a decision and take a step in the wrong direction. Get stuck. Realize that you're stuck. 
come back to the beginning and go back to your destination. You can get there and still continue on. Eventually, you all get to the same destination, but for some, it takes a longer time. But the guy that's contemplating walking never really moves. He's thinking, maybe I'll do this tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, yeah, I think I'll start tomorrow again. Yeah, I'm going to start praying tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to start investing tomorrow. I'm going to start doing this or that tomorrow. Just procrastinating and really not doing anything. But the person that just walked, whether you've taken the wrong path, or you've taken the right path, eventually they get to their destination because they know where they're going. They have made a decision to get somewhere. So every step, a walk is made up of a series of steps. Every step is a decision. Now, the Bible says, he steadied me as I walked. As you make decisions, God is with you on your decision. God is with you on your decision. God wants every one of us to do well. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3, that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need. He's delivered us and set us free. He has broken chains of our feet. All we really need to do now is walk with the knowledge that he's with us. And when we stumble, he's there right next to us to pick us up. Amen? So this message is really about decision making. Okay, need directions? To be unstuck, you've got to be stuck in the first place. How do people get stuck in the first place? Some people are just born into stuck. Unfortunately, that is the truth. There are people in third world countries that will probably never have the opportunities that we have in this country. There are people in third world countries that whenever they want to watch television, they have to go to their neighbors. They probably never held a mobile phone. Some people are just born into hardship. And sometimes they get out of it. Sometimes they don't. So some people are born into stock through no fault of theirs. Some people are stuck in mindsets and erroneous and unprofitable beliefs. Sometimes religious beliefs, and they're just stuck in it. Sometimes accidents happen in life. Things go wrong and could bring tragic outcomes, and then people are stuck. But what we really want to deal with tonight is the self-inflicted stock. Sometimes we stock, we are stuck because of the decisions we've made in life. And, you know, really when we're making decisions, there are three important things that we should consider. Let's, as Christians, we should consider the word of God. What does the Bible say about this? Seek counsel, 
wisdom from people and seek the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a practical example. For example, um, Luke 14, 28. Luke 14, 28 says, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? That's like budgeting. Really. It's budgeting. So why do you want to buy a home? Because my friend bought a home? No. You shouldn't buy a home because someone else has bought a home. You're buying a home because, one, you can afford it. You can pay the mortgage. What if interest rates are going up? Have you considered that? Can you afford it? These are the things, these are the things, these are decisions, big decisions that we need to make before we engage in something. Because what the Bible is saying is, you need to have enough money to complete the building before even starting at all. You need to make that, make sure of that. So but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin the construction of a building without first calculating the cost? If there is enough money to finish it, can I afford it? What about the location? CK real estate agents advise. And then do you have peace concerning this decision? Have you done your research? Do you know what it will cost? You know, I was meeting, I met a guy during the men's conference. Um, you know, we got talking. He's, he worships in Oxford Falls. First time I met him, he's African uh, by descent. And we started talking and somehow we've asked questions around where do you live and do you rent or you buy? And he goes, oh, we actually just bought in 2013, before the price started going up. So I said, oh, that means you've made a lot of money. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, we're living in there. We're not selling. So you don't really realize the profit until you sell. And so that's really good. But imagine, he actually told me, this is not imagine. He actually told me he has a sister-in-law that, you know, they came into some inheritance. And they've just been sitting on it for like 10 years trying to decide when to buy. They are still looking for 10 years after they came, you know, into an inheritance. So you don't need to procrastinate and keep pushing the day forward and pushing it forward and pushing it forward. If you need to decide to do something, seek counsel, seek the will of God, and, you know, just do it. Amen? Just do it. So every step is a choice. <clears throat> Let's look at um, what the Bible says about making these decisions. Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, "Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. Seek counsel. Don't over spiritualize everything." Proverbs twelve fifteen says nearly the same thing. It says, "Fools think their own ways right, but wise the wise listen to others." Always seek counsel. And you've probably heard at least twice Pastor Hartley say that um, he wanted to buy a really nice European car. And um, 
even though he didn't want to seek counsel, but he decided eventually to seek counsel. And they told him, well, you better, you know, he asked, spoke with two people and basically said the same thing. Put the money in your mortgage and, you know, you're better for it. I remember I came to Australia 20 years ago. And in those days, we used to see all these ads on TV, you know, uh, brand new Toyota Camry or Ford or whatever it is, $29,990 with air. And, you know, and, 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 and when I came in, I was living with my sister. And I remember then in 98 or 99, they sold their unit at an auction, two-bedroom unit in Liverpool, for 125000 Now, if, if you have, let's assume you had $29,000 saved that could buy you a car. And you had to make a decision, do I buy a car with 29000 or put a 20% deposit on a unit. Units in those days were like, they sold for 125000 But a unit in Liverpool today is at least 400000 But a car that you bought 20 years ago for 29990 today would be worth $300, 50 bucks. And they used to say with air. You know, air was <laughs> 29990 with air. And air, air was an option then. But now it's standard. You know, th there are simple things about money. The truth is, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to dwell on this a little more and then go on to relationships. The thing with money is, <clears throat> if you earn an income, you want to give to God, you need to give to God first. The rest, you see, financial experts say this, pay yourself. You know how the money comes into your account and the government's taking their own already? Financial experts say this, pay yourself first. Because if you don't, what you do is you go shopping in Woolies and what you've done is ensured that people at Woolies get paid. Okay, if you pay your rent, what you've ensured is that your landlord gets his mortgage paid. Or, you know, if you pay your mortgage, you, you ensure that the banks get paid. But if you don't pay yourself first, at the end of the day, there's actually nothing left. So, when you earn an income, instead of just spending it, put something aside, save and invest and plan for your future. Amen. So there's a common saying, do not spend what you don't have on the things that you don't need to impress people that don't really care. You know, don't just go and pick a credit card and start spending. You know, living a lifestyle, it's, it will get you stuck financially. So let's move on to relationships. Friends and spouses. Proverbs 15.1 says this. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers rise. I don't know if you, for those who are, who are married, maybe your wife says something and then you say something. And then she says something and then you say another thing and then she says something. And, you know, sometimes little things can just snowball into big things. 
But the Bible says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And then she says something you did 10 years ago, and you say something she did 20 years ago if you've been married for 20 years. And it just keeps going on and on. Proverbs 19.11 says, sensible people control their tempers. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Sometimes we just have to overlook wrongs in relationships. Pastor Phil says things like, it's better to win a friend than to win an argument. You don't have to have the last say. You know, sometimes you just take the loss. Just lose the battle and win a friend. You don't have to win the battle and lose a friend. If I can have the music team up, please. And in decision-making, what the Bible really says is this. Psalm 37 verse 5. It says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Whatever we need to do, all we need to do is commit it into the Lord's hands. Seek counsel and God will help you. He will steady you as you walk. He's pulled you out of the pit, pulled you out of the mud and the mire. He set your feet on a solid ground and he will steady you as you walk. All you need to do is walk. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. God wants us to do well. He saved us. He's paid the price for us. The Bible says he's given us everything that we need for a godly life. It's all good. But we've just got to begin to walk. We've got to begin to make choices. Good choices that are based on the word of God. You know, once we become Christian, the Bible says, put off the old self and put on the new self that is made after the image of Christ. So if, our, if, if, if for example, our our desire to get rich in the past was to drive a nice car and have a nice house and flaunt my wealth. When we become Christian, we still have that desire to get rich, but it will be to advance the work of God, help people that are needy, you know, and be a blessing to someone else. Amen. Why don't we bow our heads tonight?